Section 24 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. Institutes of the Christian Religion Book 3 by John Calvin Translated by Henry Beveridge Chapter 14 Part 1 The Beginning of Justification In What Sense Progressive To illustrate what has been already said and show what kind of righteousness man can have during the whole course of his life, mankind are divided into four classes. One, first class considered, section one through six. Two, second and third classes considered together, sections seven, eight. Three, fourth class considered, section nine to end. Sections. 1. Men either idolatrous, profane, hypocritical, or regenerate. 1. Idolaters void of righteousness, full of unrighteousness, and hence in the sight of God altogether wretched and undone. 2. Still a great difference in the characters of men. This difference manifested. 1. In the gifts of God. 2. In the distinction between honorable and base. 3. In the blessings of the present life. 3. All human virtue, how praiseworthy soever it may appear, is corrupted. 1. By impurity of heart. 2. By the absence of a proper nature. 4. By the want of Christ without whom there is no life. 5. Natural condition of man as described by Scripture. All men dead in sins before regeneration. 6. Passages of Scripture to this effect. Vulgar error confounding the righteousness of works with the redemption purchased by Christ. 7. The second and third classes of men, comprehending hypocrites and Christians in name only. Every action of theirs deserves condemnation. Passage from Haggai. Objection. Answer. 8. Other passages. Quotations from Augustine and Gregory. 9. The fourth class. Viz the regenerate. Though guided by the Spirit, corruption adheres to all they do, especially when brought to the bar of God. 10. One fault sufficient to efface all former righteousness. Hence, they cannot possibly be justified by works. 11. In addition to the two former arguments, a third adduced against the sophists 
to show that whatever be the works of the regenerate, they are justified solely by faith and the free imputation of Christ's righteousness. 12. Sophism of the schoolmen in opposition to the above doctrine. Answer. 13. Answer explained. Refutation of the fiction of partial righteousness and compensation by works of supererogation. This fiction necessarily falls with that of satisfaction. 14. Statement of our Savior viz. that after we have done all, we are still unprofitable servants. 15. Objection founded on Paul's boasting. Answer, showing the apostles' meaning. Other answers, stating the general doctrine, out of Chrysostom. Third answer, showing that supererogation is the merest vanity. 16. Fourth answer, showing how Scripture dissuades us from all confidence in works. Fifth answer, showing that we have no ground of boasting. 17. Sixth answer, showing in regard to four different classes that works have no part in procuring our salvation. 1. The efficient cause is the free love of the Father. 2. The material cause is Christ acquiring righteousness for us. 3. The instrumental cause is faith. 4. The final cause, the display of the divine justice and praise of the divine goodness. 18. A second objection founded on the glorying of saints. An answer explaining these modes of expression. How the saints feel in regard to the certainty of salvation the opinion they have of their own works as in the sight of God. 19. Another answer, viz., that the elect by this kind of glorying refer only to their adoption by the Father as proved by the fruits of their calling. The order of this glorying, its foundation, structure, and parts. 20. Conclusion. The saints neither attribute anything to the merits of works, nor derogate in any degree from the righteousness which they obtain in Christ. Confirmation from a passage of Augustine, in which he gives two reasons why no believer will presume to boast before God of his works. 21. A third objection, viz., that the good works of believers are the causes of divine blessings. Answer. There are inferior causes, but these depend on free justification, which is the only true cause why God blesses us. These modes of expression designate the order of sequence rather than the cause. 1. In farther illustration of the subject, let us consider what kind of righteousness man can have during the whole course of his life 
and for this purpose let us make a fourfold division. Mankind, either endued with no knowledge of God, are sunk in idolatry, or initiated in the sacraments, but by the impurity of their lives, denying him whom they confess with their mouths, are Christians in name only. Or they are hypocrites, who with empty glosses hide the iniquity of the heart. Or they are regenerated by the Spirit of God, and aspire to true holiness. In the first place, when men are judged by their natural endowments, not an iota of good will be found from the crown of the head to the sole of the foot, unless we are to charge Scripture with falsehood when it describes all the sons of Adam by such terms as these. Quote, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. End quote. Quote, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Quote. Quote, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. End quote. Quote, they are all gone aside, they are altogether become filthy. There is none that does good, no, not one. End quote. In short, that they are flesh under which name are comprehended all those works which are enumerated by Paul. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and all kinds of pollution and abomination which it is possible to imagine. Such, then, is the worth on which men are to plume themselves. But if any among them possess an integrity of manners which presents some semblance of sanctity among men, yet because we know that God regards not the outward appearance we must penetrate to the very source of action, if we would see how far works avail for righteousness. We must, I say, look within, and see from what affection of the heart these works proceed. This is a very wide field of discussion, but as the matter may be explained in few words, I will use as much brevity as I can. Two. First, then, I deny not that whatever excellent endowments appear in unbelievers are divine gifts, nor do I set myself so much in opposition to common sense as to contend that there was no difference between the justice, moderation, and equity of Titus and Trajan, and the rage and temperance and cruelty of Caligula, Nero, and Domitian between the continents of Vespasian and the obscene lusts of Tiberius, and, not to dwell on single virtues and vices, between the observance of law and justice, and the contempt of them. So great is the difference between justice and injustice, 
that it may be seen even where the former is only a lifeless image. For what order would remain in the world if we were to confound them? Hence, this distinction between honorable and base actions, God has not only engraven on the minds of each, but also often confirms in the administration of his providence. For we see how he visits those who cultivate virtue with many temporal blessings. Not that that external image of virtue in the least degree merits his favor, but he is pleased thus to show how much he delights in true righteousness, since he does not leave even the outward semblance of it to go unrewarded. Hence it follows, as we lately observed, that those virtues, or rather images of virtues, of whatever kind, are divine gifts, since there is nothing in any degree praiseworthy which proceeds not from him. 3. Still the observation of Augustine is true, that all who are strangers to the true God, however excellent they may be deemed on account of their virtues, are more deserving of punishment than of reward, because by the pollution of their heart they contaminate the pure gifts of God. For though they are instruments of God to preserve human society by justice, continence, friendship, temperance, fortitude, and prudence, yet they execute these good works of God in the worst manner, because they are kept from acting ill, not by a sincere love of goodness, but merely by ambition or self-love, or some other sinister affection. Seeing then that these actions are polluted as in their very source by impurity of heart, they have no better title to be classed among virtues than vices, which impose upon us by their affinity or resemblance to virtue. In short, when we remember that the object at which righteousness always aims is the service of God, Whatever is of a different tendency deservedly forfeits the name. Hence, as they have no regard to the end which the divine wisdom prescribes, although from the performance the act seems good, yet from the perverse motive it is sin. Augustine, therefore, concludes that all the Fabriciuses, the Scipios, and Catos, in their illustrious deeds, sinned in this, that, wanting the light of faith, they did not refer them to the proper end, and that, therefore, there was no true righteousness in them, because duties are estimated not by acts, but by motives. 4. Besides, if it is true, as John says, that there is no life without the Son of God, 1 John 5.12, those who have no part in Christ, whoever they be, whatever they do or devise, are hastening on, during their whole career, to destruction and the judgment of eternal death. 
For this reason, Augustine says, quote, Our religion distinguishes the righteous from the wicked by the law, not of works, but of faith, without which works, which seem good, are converted into sins. End quote. He finally expresses the same idea in another passage, where he compares the zeal of such men to those who in a race mistake the course. He who is off the course, the more swiftly he runs, is the more distant from the goal, and therefore the more unhappy. It is better to limp in the way than run out of the way. Lastly, as there is no sanctification without union with Christ, it is evident that they are bad trees which are beautiful and fair to look upon and may even produce fruit sweet to the taste, but are still very far from good. Hence, we easily perceive that everything which man thinks, designs, and performs before he is reconciled to God by faith is cursed and not only of no avail for justification, but merits certain damnation. And why do we talk of this as if it were doubtful, when it has already been proved by the testimony of an apostle that, quote, without faith it is impossible to please God, end quote. Hebrews 11, 6. 5. But the proof will be still clearer if divine grace is set in opposition to the natural condition of man, for Scripture everywhere proclaims that God finds nothing in man to induce him to show kindness, but that he prevents him by free liberality. What can a dead man do to obtain life? But when he enlightens us with the knowledge of himself, he is said to raise us from the dead and make us new creatures. John 5.25 On this ground, we see that the kindness of God toward us is often commended, especially by the Apostle. Quote, God, says he, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. End quote. Ephesians 2, 4. In another passage, when treating of the general call of believers, under the type of Abraham, he says, quote, God quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. End quote. Romans 4, 17. If we are nothing, what, pray, can we do? Wherefore, in the book of Job, the Lord sternly represses all arrogance in these words, quote, Who has prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. End quote. Job 41.11 Paul, explaining this sentence, applies it in this way. Let us not imagine that we bring to the Lord anything but the mere disgrace of want and destitution. Romans 11.35 Wherefore, in the passage above quoted, to prove that we attain to the hope of salvation, 
not by works, but only by grace, he affirms that, quote, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. End quote. Ephesians 2.10 As if he had said, Who of us can boast of having challenged God by his righteousness? seeing our first power to act aright is derived from regeneration. For as we are formed by nature, sooner shall oil be extracted from stone than good works from us. It is truly strange how man, convicted of such ignominy, dares still to claim anything as his own. Let us acknowledge, therefore, with that chosen vessel, that God, quote, has called us with unholy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, end quote. And, quote, that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, end quote. That being justified by his grace, we might become the heirs of everlasting life. Second Timothy 1, 9 Titus 3, 4, 5 By this confession we strip man of every particle of righteousness, until by mere mercy he is regenerated unto the hope of eternal life. Since it is not true to say we are justified by grace if works contribute in any degree to our justification. The apostle undoubtedly had not forgotten himself in declaring that justification is gratuitous, seeing he argues in another place that if works are of any avail, quote, grace is no more grace, end quote, Romans 11.6. And what else does our Lord mean when he declares, quote, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance? End quote. Matthew 9.13 If sinners alone are admitted, why do we seek admission by means of fictitious righteousness? 6. The thought is ever and anon recurring to me that I am in danger of insulting the mercy of God by laboring with so much anxiety to maintain it as if it were doubtful or obscure. Such, however, is our malignity in refusing to concede to God what belongs to him, until most strongly urged, that I am obliged to insist at greater length. But as scripture is clear enough on this subject, I shall contend in its words rather than my own. Isaiah, after describing the universal destruction of the human race, finally subjoins the method of restitution. Quote, the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment, and he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. End quote. Isaiah 59, verses 15 and 16. Where is our righteousness? If the prophet says truly 
that no man in recovering salvation gives any assistance to the Lord. Thus, another prophet, introducing the Lord as treating concerning the reconciliation of sinners, says, quote, I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercies. End quote. Quote, I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. End quote. Hosea 2, 19 and 23. If a covenant of this kind, evidently forming our first union with God, depends on mercy, there is no foundation left for our righteousness. And indeed, I would fain know from those who pretend that man meets God with some righteousness of works, whether they imagine there is any kind of righteousness save that which is acceptable to him. If it were insane to think so, can anything agreeable to God proceed from his enemies, whom he abominates with all their deeds? Truth declares that we are all the avowed and inveterate enemies of God until we are justified and admitted to his friendship. Romans 5, 6, Colossians 1, 21. If justification is the beginning of love, how can the righteousness of works precede it? Hence, John, to put down the arrogant idea, carefully reminds us that God first loved us. 1 John 4.10 The Lord had formerly taught the same thing by his prophet. Quote, I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. End quote. Hosea 14.4 Assuredly, he is not influenced by works if his love turns to us spontaneously. But the rude and vulgar idea entertained is that we did not merit the interposition of Christ for our redemption, but that we are aided by our works in obtaining possession of it. On the contrary, though we may be redeemed by Christ, still, until we are engrafted into union with him by the calling of the Father, we are darkness, the heirs of death, and the enemies of God. For Paul declares that we are not purged and washed from our impurities by the blood of Christ until the Spirit accomplishes that cleansing in us. 1 Corinthians 6.11 Peter, intending to say the same thing, declares that the sanctification of the Spirit avails, quote, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. End quote. 1 Peter 1, 2 If the sprinkling of the blood of Christ by the Spirit gives us purification, let us not think that, previous to this sprinkling, we are anything but sinners without Christ. Let us therefore hold it as certain that the beginning of our salvation is, as it were, a resurrection from death unto life, because when it is given us on behalf of Christ to believe on him, Philippians 1.29, 1 
then only do we begin to pass from death unto life. 7. Under this head, the second and third class of men noted in the above division is comprehended. Impurity of conscience proves that as yet neither of these classes is regenerated by the Spirit of God. And again, their not being regenerated proves their want of faith, whence it is clear that they are not yet reconciled, not yet justified, since it is only by faith that these blessings are obtained. What can sinners, alienated from God, produce save that which is abominable in his sight? Such, however, is the stupid confidence entertained by all the wicked, and especially by hypocrites, that, however conscious that their whole heart teems with impurity, they yet deem any spurious works which they may perform as worthy of the approbation of God. Hence, the pernicious consequence that though convicted of a wicked and impious minds, they cannot be induced to confess that they are devoid of righteousness. Even acknowledging themselves to be unrighteous, because they cannot deny it, they yet arrogate to themselves some degree of righteousness. This vanity the Lord admirably refutes by the prophet, quote, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, if one bear holy flesh on the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. End quote. Haggai 2, verses 11 through 14. I wish these sentiments could obtain full credit with us, and be deeply fixed on our memories. For there is no man, however flagitious the whole tenor of his life may be, who will allow himself to be convinced of what the Lord here so clearly declares. As soon as any person, even the most wicked, has performed some one duty of the law, he hesitates not to impute it to himself for righteousness. But the Lord declares that no degree of holiness is thereby acquired, unless the heart has previously been made pure. And not contented with this, he declares that all the works performed by sinners are contaminated by impurity of heart. Let us cease then to give the name of righteousness to works which the mouth of God condemns as polluted. How well is this shown by that elegant similitude? It might be objected 
that what the Lord has commanded is inviolably holy. But he, on the contrary, replies that it is not strange that those things which are sanctified in the law are contaminated by the impurity of the wicked, the unclean hand profaning that which is sacred by handling it. 8. The same argument is admirably followed out by Isaiah. Quote, Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my fowl hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. End quote. Isaiah 1, 13 through 16 compared with chapter 58. What is meant by the Lord thus nauseating the observance of his law? Nay, indeed, he does not repudiate anything relating to the genuine observance of the law, the beginning of which is, as he uniformly declares, the sincere fear of his name. When this is wanting, all the services which are offered to him are not only nugatory, but vile and abominable. But hypocrites now go, and while keeping depravity wrapped up in their hearts, study to lay God under obligation by their works. In this way, they will only offend him more and more. Quote, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. End quote. Proverbs 15, 8. We hold it, therefore, as indubitable. Indeed, it should be notorious to all tolerably verdant with scriptures that the most splendid works performed by men who are not yet truly sanctified are so far from being righteousness in the sight of the Lord that he regards them as sins. And therefore it is taught with perfect truth that no man procures favor with God by means of works, but that, on the contrary, works are not pleasing to God unless the person has previously found favor in his sight. Here we should carefully observe the order which Scripture sets before us. Moses says that, quote, The Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, End quote, Genesis 4, 4. Observe how he says that the Lord was propitious, had respect to Abel, before he had respect to his works. Wherefore, purification of heart ought to precede in order that the works performed by us may be graciously accepted by God. For the saying of Jeremiah is always true, quote, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Quote. Jeremiah 5.3 Moreover, 
the Holy Spirit declared by the mouth of Peter that it is by faith alone the heart is purified. Acts 15.9 Hence it is evident that the primary foundation is in true and living faith. 9. Let us now see what kind of righteousness belongs to those persons whom we have placed in the fourth class. We admit that when God reconciles us to himself by the intervention of the righteousness of Christ, and bestowing upon us the free pardon of sins, regards us as righteous, his goodness is at the same time conjoined with mercy, so that he dwells in us by means of his Holy Spirit, by whose agency the lusts of our flesh are every day more and more mortified while that we ourselves are sanctified. That is, consecrated to the Lord for true purity of life, our hearts being trained to the obedience of the law. It thus becomes our leading desire to obey his will, and in all things advance his glory only. Still, however, while we walk in the ways of the Lord, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, lest we should become unduly elated and forget ourselves, we have still remains of imperfection which serve to keep us humble. Quote, there is no man that sinneth not, end quote, saith Scripture, 1 Kings 8.46. What righteousness, then, can men obtain by their works? First, I say that the best thing which can be produced by them is always tainted and corrupted by the impurity of the flesh, and has, as it were, some mixture of dross in it. Let the holy servant of God, I say, select from the whole course of his life the action which he deems most excellent, and let him ponder it in all its parts. He will doubtless find in it something that savors of the rottenness of the flesh, since our alacrity in well-doing is never what it ought to be, but our course is always retarded by much weakness. Although we see that the stains by which the works of the righteous are blemished are by no means unapparent, still granting that they are the minutest possible. Will they give no offense to the eye of God, before which even the stars are not clean? We thus see that even saints cannot perform one work, which, if judged on its own merits, is not deserving of condemnation. 10. Even were it possible for us to perform works absolutely pure, Yet one sin is sufficient to efface and extinguish all remembrance of former righteousness. As the prophet says, Ezekiel 18.24, with this James agrees, quote, Whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, is guilty of all. End quote. James 2.10 And since this mortal life, is never entirely free from the taint of sin, whatever righteousness we could acquire would ever and anon be corrupted, overwhelmed, and destroyed by subsequent sins, 
so that it could not stand the scrutiny of God, or be imputed to us for righteousness. In short, whenever we treat of the righteousness of works, we must look not to the legal work, but to the command. Therefore, when righteousness is sought by the law, it is in vain to produce one or two single works. We must show an uninterrupted obedience. God does not, as many foolishly imagine, impute that forgiveness of sins once for all as righteousness, so that, having obtained the pardon of our past life, we may afterwards seek righteousness in the law. This were only to mock and delude us by the entertainment of false hopes. For since perfection is altogether unattainable by us, so long as we are clothed with flesh, and the law denounces death and judgment against all who have not yielded a perfect righteousness, there will always be ground to accuse and convict us, unless the mercy of God interpose and ever and anon absolve us by the constant remission of sins. Wherefore the statement which we set out is always true. If we are estimated by our own worthiness in everything that we think or devise, with all our studies and endeavors, we deserve death and destruction. End of section 24. Recording by Bill Mosley, Prellsburg, Texas, USA.